Breaking It Down with Frank McKay. This is 1039 LI News Radio. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. This is Frank McKay. But more importantly, my very special guest is a wonderful musician, and he's seen it all. In his time, he has played with, uh, you know, legends, and he's uh, certainly a bass legend himself, and a wonderful musician, wonderful bassist, uh, Pete Sears. How are you, Pete? Um, okay, man. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, when did it all start for you? You're from uh, Kent, England, am I right? Yes, yes. I, I, I grew up in, in a, a post, post-World War II England, <laughs> in um, uh, South London, pretty much South London, in the Bromley area. And, uh, um, yeah, it was pretty intense back, back in those days. There were lots of buildings bombed out and things. And, uh, but, uh, it was, uh, you know, there was a, a, the music scene really took off. You know, um, we were listening to, we, uh, we started, started listening to, uh, blues and soul and, you know, jazz and uh, they sort of, you know, we were teenagers and, Listening to all that stuff and uh, how about Skiffle? Try, try trying to play like it, you know. How about Skiffle? How soon did Skiffle come in? Yeah, well, Skiffle was around. Yeah, it was in the fifties, wasn't it? And, um, and so, so we had it was interesting, really, because the um, uh, you know we were all just a bunch of you know a bunch of kids over there. Try, well, not kids, but but uh, very varying ages there, you know. But post-war, or some born some born during the World War Two and. The, uh, and then some right after, and uh, that's kind of the, they call it the baby boomer generation, or and yeah. um, and uh, so we we were exposed growing up to an interesting variety of music. Um, you know, a lot of it was still leftover music that was morale boosting music for our parents' generation for the you know the wartime thing, and the BBC played a lot of that, and then gradually rock and roll started appearing, and of course jazz was there all along, but and then traditional jazz, and, and there was skiffle, and um, but we always had you know Celtic music and skiffle that was in folk was always a, a large part of the uh, uh, scene in the British Isles, you know, and um, so uh, that when we started. You know, listening to like George Harrison, listening to Carl Perkins, and, and we used to listen to Eddie Cochran and, and uh, uh, you know, uh, Champion Jack Dupree and uh, uh, Freddie King, BB King, and, and, um, and a, lot of, a lot of the old players, of course, the jazz players we'd listen to, and uh, um, and uh, and the, and, the, and the, the you know the surfing sound and i mean we, it, it's like both sides of the atlantic the music was sort of, sort of growing up to, together you know um and, and we were all sort of influenced by uh soul music you know otis redding and um mm. and booker t and the mgs and uh, uh so many so many different uh, varieties of wonderful music coming out of the usa and we we were all just trying to play, <laughs> try doing our best to copy it and play like it um, but what happened? It ends up ended up sort of with a, a sort of our own. It kind of made it our own thing, really. You know, it, 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 obviously it could never sound like the original. You know, we never can sound that good. Or, you know, but but we made it our own, and uh, and uh, the Celtic influences and and folk and uh, skiffle and, and any all kinds of sort of homegrown stuff uh, kind of um, influenced. 
a lot of the bands, you know. The, yeah. The, 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 and, and I mean, like Traffic, you know, had like... You Steve Winwood. Carefully, there's a Celtic influence in their music. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I, actually, let me ask you, and I, let me remind folks that are just tuning in or just turning on their radios that this is Frank McKay and Pete Sears. I'm thrilled to have Pete Sears here. Uh, he is a, just a wonderful musician, bass player. He's seen it all. He's played with everyone from Jefferson Starship uh, and Hot Tuna, uh, John Lee Hooker, right? You played with John Lee Hooker and yeah, Rod I Stewart. Yeah, I played piano, uh, piano, piano. You know, he played on my solo album and, and also uh, played uh, filling in for Liz Fisher, his, his regular keyboard player at the time. She couldn't make a gig, and I filled in on a couple of gigs. Some gigs make filled in on a couple of gigs. You know, with Rich Kirch on guitar, and who was the band leader, great guy, and. Uh, so that was a wonderful one, and I got rich actually, resume. It's a it's a tremendous to have resume. it on film, which is nice. You know, but um, so that was that was really an honor for me to be actually be up there playing playing with John Lee. You know, because because he came, used to those guys used to come over to Europe. You know, and Germany, France, and England, and all over the British Isles, and uh, they'd come over and uh, uh, they loved it coming over in the in the in the early sixties because they were like heroes to us. You know, it uh, was. Yeah quite the discrimination uh, that was to the degree that was going on not not to say they weren't they weren't of course in the US um, obviously there were there were you know big fans of the blues and, uh, uh, and um, uh, of course you know and uh, great bands like that came out of that like Mike Mike Bloomfield and Paul Butterfield and those guys I mean Nick Ravenitis you know is a good friend of mine a great player and, and you know that, of course. Um, so it's kind of like uh, then the psychedelic. So, so what, the first bands that I started playing with play with playing more like soul music and blues, and and then although our, rec, our our singles, our records were more a little bit more on the pop side, but uh, but the uh, and then we sort of then psychedelia came along in '67 and, and and Hendrix, you know, and everything, and it came over and. Uh, and that was, and I met, I met, I first met him before the, the, the experience. And Did you meet him in London or here? Yeah, I met him. I was at Eric Bird, and well, I, the, the band I was with called Lord Elise at the time. This is 1966, and um, a couple of the guys in the band were, were staying at Eric's house, Eric Burden's house in London, and um, I just happened to be visiting, and I was sitting in the kitchen, and Eric wasn't there at the time, but uh, Chas Chandler walked in. From you know, he's used with the and the animals originally, yeah. and and he walked in with uh, with this black guy, you know, just walked in, real great, well, you know, regular jeans and just regular looking guy, you know, and really cool, really cool guy, just really great guy to talk to. None of us knew at the time how good he was, you know, and everything, and uh, uh, and then um, we just just having a nice conversation, sitting in the kitchen. Next thing you know. Um, and he came down and, and overdubbed on one of our one of our tunes, you know, it, uh, which we were doing an album, which unfortunately was never released. But uh, and nobody knows where it is. But you don't have those uh, tracks anywhere, do you? No, no. We we do. We did this song called Amen. We did the band I was with. We did a lot of impressions. Wow. Like Curtis Mayfield, that sort of thing. And and uh, he came. Chaz brought him down, and he overdubbed um, uh, some guitar on that, and uh, some sort of, and the, so. I, and I remember, you know, I, I remember seeing the the acetate, which is uh, what they press the vinyl from, you know, and everything. Yeah. The original acetate, and I, 
but uh, and some books say I have it. Some rock and roll books that I that I have it, but I don't. I don't know. You wish you had it. Yeah, well, I never did. But anyway, so but later on, I jammed with him. I was at a band called San Paul Dream. After that, saw Pink Floyd at the Marquee Club um, towards the end of the Fleur de Lis period, and um, and I um, uh, you know, they really may had an effect on me, and uh, then. A friend of mine, Mick Hutchinson, great guitar player, um, was playing with an Indian tabla player, Sam Gopal, and we, we went down to the UFO Club in Tottenham Court Road, London, and the, and that whole psychedelic thing was just beginning to happen, and it hadn't really caught on in the press yet, it was 90, uh, very early 1967. But, uh, you know, there were like mind troops and experimental music and, and characters walking around, and it was a... So we just, we just improvised... Uh, Indian style music, and that was called Sam Gopal Dream. And Hendrix ended up sitting in with us at uh, a gig at Speakeasy, which was interesting. But anyway, but uh, yeah. yeah, so it was a really great time, you know, to be around. But but uh, to, to music was was alive and well then, you know. And uh, like any any city, it kind of ebbs and flows, you know. Like kind of music, uh, some the scene kind of. It's fades uh, out and comes in with something else, takes over. You what know. a moment in history. Let me remind people uh, who they're listening to. Uh, wonderful, wonderful musician, Pete Sears, uh, bass player and keyboard player. And he's played with everyone from Rod Stewart to, you just heard, uh, Hendrix and uh, you know everyone else that you could uh, imagine from that that era. Uh, you could tell by his uh, his accent. He didn't, grow, he didn't grow up in San Francisco. He grew up in London. And... Uh, just a, a just an amazing career, and it's still going strong. Let me ask you something. By no means, Pete, am I uh, a, a sociologist or pretending to be, but you walking around that those bombed out buildings and and other folks like you in in uh, in, in that area. Uh, do you think it has any effect on you guys? Uh, just mentally, emotionally, just seeing what how close. London came to you know to to a disaster and you know yeah I, and do you think it had any kind of effect on you? I, I think it did you know obviously I mean I think that I mean my mother certainly my my parents' generation of course but to the, actually had to fight to, you know because we had the Battle of Britain in nineteen in, the, in around nineteen forty and uh, when and when my mother would talk when um, uh, Goring and the Luftwaffe you know tried to bomb bomb uh, England into submission by going through London, you know, they'd go into London, the docks. And, but I was in, um, where I grew up was in a place called, there's an area called Bomber Alley, where they called it. They, it was the area they crossed the English Channel and then uh, um, from occupied Europe and then they'd um, uh, come up to London and it just, our house just happened to be in that area, I, I wasn't born. I was born in '48, but my brother was five years older than me, so he was in the thick of it as a baby. But, 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 um, so the, you know, uh, some areas, obviously, the East End of London got it really bad, you know. But, um, but, you know, we had uh, areas of London, um, areas of, of, of where we in Bromley, that's uh, where David Bowie is from, you know, too. You know, he's, he's from that area, Dave, and um, Dave Jones, and he. Uh, uh, you know, the, the area uh, had some, you know, some pretty significant damage because my mother would look up and see that she said the sky would be black with uh, bombers, you know. So, 
Um, and on the uh, look, the fighters, you know, the Spitfires and the Hurricanes would be going up to to uh, fight the Measure Smiths. And, I mean, it was an awful time. You know, obviously people would um, terrible time for everyone, and and uh, you know, and and also on on both, you know, everywhere. You know, I mean, in France and Germany too, of course. You know, I mean, obviously towards towards the end of the war, uh, Germany was was was. You know, at Dresden, the terrible firestorm bombing there, you know, and everything. I mean, I mean it was just, it's just no good. It had an absolutely devastating effect on on everyone and on everywhere, you know, over there. And um, so we, fortunately, uh, you know, we had, there were invasion barges lined up across the English Channel ready to put into Operation, Operation Sea Lion and come over and invade England, the south coast of England. But fortunately... Uh, uh, they weren't able to knock the Air Force out, and that was one of the requirements that they, they decided they had to knock the Air Force out with going, you know, and uh, they weren't able to do that. We had our Spitfires and Hurricanes, and somehow we managed to stave off the Luftwaffe and, um, enough, but it was terrible damage, and so that never was never put into effect. Also, it would be a very different world today because uh, England, you know, the, England became the platform for the uh, U.S. when the U.S., Join the war. Um, that's where the you know the bombers um, uh, had their air bases. You know, right, right there in England as a platform to, and, and, and you know it would have been very difficult to uh, to stop stop what was going on. You yeah. Know? And it was, uh, but you know, it's it's uh, it's it's all a, it's a war is always a gray area as to how things were allowed to get to the condition to, to the state they were in. You know, it's. Uh, you, you know, you often find um, culpability on on both sides. You know, just it's, it's going back, and but but once it started, you know, it's it had to be done. Well, well listen, in, in this case, uh, I, I'm pretty sure we were on the right side because the other side were the Nazis, right? So well, yeah, I, no, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but but why were why Hitler was allowed to? Get that far? I don't know. I know you're not. Kind of, this is a rock and roll thing, right? But right. But why, I mean, why was he allowed to attain such a massive army? You know, right. and, that and that's it. the thing. See, I mean, what, and then you get into the interest involved. Uh, I, I, but I won't get into all that. Mark. No, yeah, yeah but you're that. you're you're right on. I mean, it's it's yeah, very interesting. You know, I, mean, I got it started on on the sociology. What about your folks, though? What were they? What what yeah. were they thinking when you got involved? with such because obviously you've got an interest in history and you've got an interest in things around you uh what did your folks do and what did they think about you going in the direction of music well you know i i, I uh by the way pete my, my, my sears brother, wait my, let me my, remind everyone pete to, 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 let me right? jump in for a second. Let me remind everyone that Pete Sears is our special guest. This is Frank McKay. Pete Sears is a, a wonderful musician and a bass player. I, I, just before you answer that, I just didn't want people to not know who was talking. Sorry, Pete. So uh, back to that. Your, your parents. Oh, oh well, yeah. I mean, the uh, um, it's always been. Um, I mean, obviously, to answer your uh, answer your question with, uh, you know. The, uh, the original question there, uh, the effect that the, the, the war, war time, well, the war did actually have on 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 on, on everybody. It was devastating, you know, obviously, and, uh, and my parents, and, and uh, but there was also uh, a sense of togetherness, which was good, you know. That kept that, that unfortunately, you know, I mean, it fortunately happens when when a, a group of people are under. Um, 
uh, threat from something, right? They'll come together. It brings them together. But it's a pity it takes that. It takes a war to do that. But um, so uh, there was a sense of community, you know, and uh, in, in in where I grew up, and um, and but there was the de- you know there was there was, there was the, uh, the, the uh, bombed out areas, and 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 of course it was, it was being rebuilt fast, and they had built these uh, prefabricated houses for the returning troops and soldiers from the war um, because they didn't have anywhere to, to stay with their families. So they built these prefabs made out of asbestos. Yeah. You know? so, so, but um, they're not, they had to tear them down eventually, but, but somehow we got through it all. Uh, and, and that, uh, and we're still on rationing when I was growing up in the fifties, it was still on, we were, we were, they were still rationing for quite a while. Uh, Cause, and, um, but uh, so it was a pretty, it was a pretty, you know, rough, rough, rough deal but it was also a very um uh so everybody it brought people together in many ways also and so uh but then the music as i say the music we started when my generation started listening to uh listening and being aware of and a lot of it was through my brother who went into you know, BB. What was your one of your questions? Was, well, uh, well, what did your parents? Uh, what my parents thought yeah. about what I was doing. You know, uh, going into rock and roll. My my brother went on to you know, university and 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 became a scientist and 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 did the whole thing. And then and I, I kind of just went off very, at a very early age in in on the road with a band, playing all over. And they and 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 uh, they were they wanted me to go to. You know, art Croydon Art College, and you know, that's what the plan was. And uh, but I just I was in a semi semi pro semi professional band, and then I I just went, you know, and I just chucked it all in, and and because we got a backer, and we got a backer, and we got a record company, and and we started traveling all over England and an old beat up van, and then Scotland and all Wales, all over you know all over the place in this old beat up van, playing gigs, and uh, that's six or seven nights a week, and uh, that band was called the Sons of Fred. <laughs> and, and, uh, anybody in there that we would remember? Um, well, the, Mick Hutchinson, you know, he's, he's an amazing... He and I got... He play, we played together in the San Gopal Dream in 1967, the band I was talking about that Hendrix sat in with and everything. And, yeah. uh, Mick's a great guitar player and lives, still lives in England. And, um, and there's there's been a... You know, it was interesting—a sort of resurgence of interest in, in in obscure music from the '60s, that period. And and I, I, I you know, there was a, a a twenty about ten years ago, my my wife's niece had, uh, was here with her boyfriend, twenty-one-year-old boyfriend, and he um, it was he asked me who I played with. So I I so you know I said well you know I so I started I said oh I, well you know I went through the usual like. Uh, People I thought he might possibly have heard of, like Rod Stewart, with piano playing piano with him, you know, on his four English albums, uh, British-made albums, and uh, back in the early seventies, and uh, and then bass with Long John Baudry, you know. I started throwing off these names like Jefferson Starship and Hot yeah. Tuna, and, and he, he wasn't, and and he wasn't at all impressed, you know. He didn't, he didn't care about any <laughs> of that stuff, you know. And then he said, "Well, who else?" I said, "Well, nobody you would have heard of, you know. You wouldn't." He said, "You would try me," you know. And I said. Well, the, what was the first band you were in? I said, The Sons of Fred. And, and he said, The Sons of Fred. He about hit the ceiling. And I, and I, I thought, I, didn't, I had, you know, I thought, absolutely no way anybody would ever have even, 
you know, be aware of us. You know, we we reached something like the 80 or, or 70 in the charts once in England. But we did have a lot of fans, you know. We, we, we used to tour all over and... Um, in, uh, so we had we had a following, but it, but we didn't have a hit hit record. You know, we had we did TV, we did Ready Steady Go, and we did uh, Thank You Lucky Stars, all these TV shows and stuff. But we were never a hit band, you know. And uh, so I just thought it it just faded out. And there's this resurgence of interest in obscure mod music from the mid '60s, right? You know, and um, so um, that was. So there's a company actually. Gonzo Multimedia, a UK company, just is, is just about to put out uh, the Sons of Fred uh, and re-release everything. Now you're talking about? <laughs> I quick. mean, it's not going to sell anything. Yeah, well, it but. doesn't matter. It's still, uh, it still it makes its mark in history. Pete Sears is our very special guest. This is Frank McKay, and a wonderful musician, Pete uh, Pete Sears, and he uh, he's played bass with some of the uh, the legends. Of rock, uh, everyone from Rod Stewart. He's played with Jimi Hendrix. He's played with uh, all types of people, and uh, Jefferson uh, Starship, and uh, Yorma did some time with Yorma. Uh, we're going to get back with Pete Sears right after yep. this. This is fight. Keyboards with him. Keyboards with him. We'll be back. Breaking it down with Frank McKay. This is 1039 LI News Radio. I'd like to welcome everyone back to Breaking It Down. This is Frank McKay. And we are in the midst of getting a history lesson. And, uh, you know, actually, uh, not only in the rock business, but in England uh, at the time when, when folks like Pete Sears, who was our special guest, uh, was growing up. And, and your contemporary Pete Sears. Uh, you know, uh, were were folks that that changed history, and a lot of these folks you went on to play with. Again, this is Frank McKay, but Pete Sears, more importantly, is our special guest. He's played with Rod Stewart. Uh, he, you, if you heard him earlier, he's played with Jimi Hendrix. He's uh, played with all types of people. But he sat in with a band. I was. With he Jimmy. sat. Okay. Well, yeah, hey, I listen. Mean, I, I, mean, I didn't, wouldn't say. I, you know, although. Mitch, well, uh, did you Mitch play wanted, and did he play? I was going to play with you, Mitch. He wanted me to play with yeah, him in a yeah. band he was getting. I didn't mean to interrupt. That's I, okay. Yeah, yeah. But make you, it clear that I'm not claiming I, I no, 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 no. You, you, you weren't his base. You weren't his base player. Well, what was it like? Let's let's talk about that for a second. What what yeah. is it like to to sit there and play with Hendrix? Or was this before he was uh, before he was the legend? No, no. He was. You know, he he was well into his. Um, you know, he was. Big, you know, really. Well, extremely well known still. Uh, I mean, by uh, this point, this is. Uh, I mean, it was a big deal for you, right? Was it? Sixty-seven. I was with the uh, Sankopal Dream. With, with Sankopal, as it was a you know, highly trained tabla player, uh, and um, Madagascar, I think. Anyway, but he 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 he, he you know, really let, knows the instrument. He lives in Munich now. Uh, but uh, Mick Hutchinson on on. It was, Brilliant guitar player, played on the guitar, played the ragas, and I played bass and B3 if there was one available. And um, so we were we were playing at the Speakeasy, and 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 uh, Jimmy uh, showed up on stage. He came out. He used to uh, we used to play gigs. We just we did like several gigs, like Christmas on Earth. Uh, it's called we revisited in 1967. It was, he played um, he played there, and he was actually seen filming us with his home movie camera and. Probably, probably filming filming the tabla player, but um, yeah. uh, but anyway, I'd love to find those, you know, find 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 his home um, movie 
camera uh, stuff. But but uh, as I say, I'd, I'd met him before, so we kind of uh, and I knew Mitch, you know, Mitch Mitchell, and uh, and I was going to form. He wanted me to play bass in a band he was forming in '69, and I went down to see Hendrix play there at the uh, Royal Albert Hall with Mitch. And uh, but things, but Jimmy was getting. Uh, well, so when he sat in with us, it was amazing. I just looked up. I was playing B3 at the time. Uh, Mick, Mick, our guitar player, handed his guitar player to Jimmy, his guitar to Jimmy, and, and Jimmy just started playing it. Was know, he a lefty? Back, backwards. Was... You know, he started playing it backwards, right. and he wouldn't know any difference. And using the mic stand as a sort of a slide. slide and, um, and, uh, and then Mick picked up my bass, and then, and then the, and, uh, I played B3, and, then my, and it was just, uh, we had a really... Nice little jam, you know. And then, um, um, and then later on, uh, uh, you know. And but when so when when Jimmy died, it was just just, just an awful thing. You know, I, I talked to Mitch a couple few days later, and, and uh, he, you know, he told me something I've never heard anybody say before that the phone uh, the phone was off the hook right, on the floor. You know, like yeah. he it was trying to get help. You know, and he just but oh, that Jimmy was trying to get help. Jimmy Hendrix. Yeah. So so he he had a you know he was looking forward. He was. He wasn't happy with the experience towards the end, you know, the, the, the Hendrix experience. He was fed up with playing Foxy Lady and all the hits. Um, uh, I think he was, he, he'd appreciated the band and he liked Mitch a lot, you know, and, and his playing and, and I, I think, but, and, um, no, you know, no, it was a really great band. And, uh, but, uh, but he was, you know, he was getting into, he wanted to get back into playing some more bluesy stuff. And yeah, You know, uh, let me jump in, Pete. Uh, yeah. Let me remind people once again, if you're just tuning in or if you're just turning on the radio, this is Frank McKay. And Pete Sears is our very special guest and a wonderful bass player, keyboard player, musician in general. And he's played with everyone from Rod Stewart to Jimi Hendrix to uh, uh, Hot Tuna, Yorma, um, Jefferson Starship, uh, whole uh, John Lee Hooker. Tremendous uh, amount of, uh, of history here. And... Your resume is unbelievable. Let's let's talk about something, and, and you, you piqued my interest here. And correct me if I'm wrong, but you met Jimi Hendrix before yep. he was well known. Yes, yeah, and then yeah, you yeah. played with him, you know, in that jam uh, after he was well known. What was the difference between Hendrix, or your impression of what the difference was when you first well, met him as an unknown to when he was a you know a legend or? Well, when I first met him. Uh, in it, it was, you know, as I mentioned before, it was at Eric Burden's kitchen, you know, and uh, Chaz Chandler just brought him over, and he was a very humble, humble, very humble guy, you know. I just seen, I mean, he, you know, he, he, I mean, he'd been playing with all kinds of people, right? Uh, who did he play with over there? Or Little Richard or Wilson Pickett or so? I know I don't. He played Is, Isley Brothers, right? He played uh, with. Yeah, he played with several people. I mean, he was just brilliant. Little Richard, there. he played with. But, yeah, but but I, I I wasn't aware of him. You know, I didn't know that. You know, and 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 uh, so but and then of course the experience went. And I was playing piano with that band uh, with Fleur de Lis. Uh, I played bass with the first band. I was a pro band and piano with the next one. <clears throat> so uh, when I first met Jimmy. You know, I was a piano player. So, so, but, uh, but then he, he, he got the experience together with, you know, the trio, power trio with uh, Mitch and Noel Redding, and, and, uh, and then I, I sort of uh, uh, saw him when I saw him again. I saw him here and there. I saw his first show. Uh, I didn't hang out with him. We weren't close or anything like that. But um, I knew Mitch better. Yeah. And um, Mitch Mitchell, the drummer. And, uh, but. 
but you know when I when I saw Jimmy when I saw him talking and just hanging out uh, you know my impression really you know was I mean he was he was he was uh, you know obviously uh, having some problems with 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 uh, drugs you know and stuff yeah. and uh, we well, we all took a lot of drugs back then you know but, sure. But but he was having a. I mean, while you were doing drugs and he was doing drugs, was it, it was he doing uh, a significant amount of dr- more drugs than you? Or no, he wasn't doing more drugs, but he, he was but having he the was problem. Doing with a it. different it, one, one particular uh, heroin. He was doing. Uh, yeah, sure, and uh, so and that was you know and 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 that's that's a, that's a tricky slope to to be yeah. on, you know, and 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 he. Uh, so that's what got him in the end, you know. And, yeah, uh, no doubt. And uh, and he'd been talking about upcoming projects, you know. He'd done the band and gyp- band of gypsies, you know, with Buddy Miles and everything. And he was really um, looking forward to playing more stuff. He, I think Mitch was going to be playing some more stuff with him. And and uh, you know, I, he was very optimistic and he was a very together guy. He'd, I I I don't re- personally recall him ever. Getting egotistical, you know, getting becoming a jerk, you know, which uh, does happen to, to to people in in my business when they become famous, you know, not not everybody, but some, you know. So uh, it goes to their head, you know. But um, they got believing their own publicist and everything. But I don't, I, I don't uh, believe, um, you know, I don't think it ever happened to him, you know. I mean, I think he was just struggling. Uh, I don't think he was trying to stop her and that his addiction I, I i don't know you know but um but i think he was just in it and he was playing and he was playing music he was uh he was um at the royal albert show royal, royal albert, the show at the royal albert hall that that mitch took me to you know and i and i remember this i remember jimmy saying on stage you know that uh People were yelling out "Foxy Lady," you know, and he said, "I just, well, I don't want to play that. I just want to play the blues." And he's played played some of the most amazing stuff I've ever heard, you know. And but he had a profound impact on the whole whole British scene, you know, because we had Eric Clapton, we had uh, Jimmy Page, and Jeff Beck, you know, and all these great players, you know, uh, and and um, and. Uh, we're playing more in the sort of B.B. King, Freddie King style, really, influenced by that. You know, John Mayall and, uh, and his band, Blues Breakers, were influenced by that, the blues, you know. And um, so, but Jimmy came in and brought this whole new, uh, different, a, whole, a completely different take on everything, you know. And, uh, and, and of course, Cream, that was a, that was a great band too. You know, they're coming up around the same time. And they changed the face. Uh, they changed the sound of, of music. Uh, Clapton certainly with the with the guitar. Let me remind everyone once again that this is Frank McKay. More importantly, Pete Sears is our very special guest. He is a uh, just a wonderful musician, and he has played with everyone from Starship to uh, Rod Stewart. And uh, we're talking about his experiences with uh, Jimi Hendrix and and passing. Uh, with uh, with Jimi Hendrix, but uh, getting a you know up close uh, view uh, at Eric Burden, who we've had on the show. Actually, we had Juma Sultan, who played with uh, 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 Jimi Hendrix at uh, Woodstock, and he had a whole different theory. Forget me, forget it. We'll have to go into a, a whole other show for that. But he he had a different theory on the death of uh, of Jimi Hendrix. But let me ask you this: Well, I mean, I, my, I, my theory was, uh, you know, I mean, what is your theory? What, I, all I know is what Mitch. Mitchell told me three days afterwards, you know, about the phone on the floor, like he was trying to get help. But, but I, but I, 
you know, my my theory is that, that, that I don't know. I mean, but if if I had a theory, it would be that the house was um, obviously had must have had a lot of uh, you know drugs lying around, and uh, I don't know. I don't really want to get into it, but right. uh, I, I think I think. But you don't think he was. You don't think he was murdered by his manager. Say, you know, Pete, huh? you don't think he was murdered by his manager, right? No, 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 no. Okay, I, 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 all right. That's I, what that's yeah, what Juma that, Sultan said. Theory, I, I don't believe that. Okay, I, well, I mean, I mean, I what do I know? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but I, I don't think so. I, I don't. Why? I mean, why does? No, I don't think so. But I, you know, all due respect to anybody that that, that thinks that. I mean, that, that they may have more information than I know. You know about. Why? I mean, I don't know, but from my perspective and what I, what I know, it, it was just a tragic, um, a tragic mistake, just like what happened to Mike Bloomfield and just yeah. one of those, and, and Janice, you know, and John Belushi, just just Jim just, Morrison, just a really uh, bad, bad thing, timing, you know. Just, uh, let's let's get on to a serious <laughs> subject. Yeah, really, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's okay. No, no, that's all right. We're talking about bombing, and we're yeah, talking about yeah. overdose and heroin. Yeah, and, yeah, and I know a lot of that comes along. But Pete Sears uh, has has seen it all as a musician, uh, growing up in in South London, basically, and uh, in the music scene over there. Who did you grow up with? Were there any uh, any recognizable names? I mean, how far? You know, obviously the Beatles and those folks were from Liverpool, and that's a uh, that that's a uh, far away away. But uh, London, who were you growing yeah. up near in London? Yeah, well, the London had their you know uh, there was a lot, there was a Mersey sound and the Beatles, you know, with Jerry and the Pacemakers and Billy J. Kramer and all those guys. They had their own sound up in, from Liverpool up north, and. Um, but then there's a, uh, in the London kind of sound, the Rolling Stones, you know, and um, Eric and, uh, uh, and those guys. And I mean, I mean, it's kind of a different uh, uh, styles. And we've very, I mean, I think, uh, like say, like George Harrison, you know, was very influenced by Carl, by the rockabilly music, you know, Eddie Cochran and I think Carl Perkins, those guys, and, and you can hear it in his playing. It's fantastic. Uh, Signature licks that he, he he'd come up with, you know, and uh, and um, uh, what a, and of course what a absolutely brilliant band that, that honed their craft uh, playing in hum, Hamburg and Germany and different places, and they they and the Cavern Club in Liverpool and a fantastic sound, you know, came coming out of there and and, and the Rolling Stones uh, were in when in the London area, and where I grew up, um, south in the little bit sort of south London, south of London. Right on the edges there. Um, uh, the area I grew up in, we had Peter Frampton, who was from my from Bromley, you know, and uh, David Bowie, who was David Jones, but yeah. and he, but he, you know, he eventually changed, changed, adopted the Bowie and David Bowie. But back then, he was we we played some of the same same clubs in West Wickham and, and Bromley Hayes. Uh, we played um, he, uh, uh, David David Bowie, you know. He, he, David Jones, he played with the um, Conrads, a band called the Conrads, and they were really good. And, and there was a, he had a guy that played with him, George Underwood, and I was with a band called the Spitfires. We weren't professional yet, you know, we were just playing, we, we called ourselves the Spitfires, and we were, they were based out of Biggin Hill area where, they, where we used to be an RAF fighter station area. And so we played the youth hostel there, and, and George Underwood played, played with um, David, and uh, he and he sat in with us, you know. So there was this kind of cross pollinization going on, and we, but 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 
uh, we he became he he played with David Bowie in, in uh, his bands for a while, uh, but then he then he just started. Uh, he was a, he's amazing and still is an amazing artist, and he 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 painted some of the most famous uh, rock and roll album covers. You know, uh, Pink Floyd, I think, some, a lot of Bowie stuff, and some, I think Moody Blues and stuff like that. And um, you know, he's, he's done some amazing work, and uh, he's still very active, George Underwood. So, so there was a there was a whole scene going on, you know, around the area I, I was I, I was growing up, and and um, I just kind of uh, uh, you know I was playing rhythm guitar actually in a band, and and then uh, and I. Uh, then I was I was approached by uh, the band Sons of Fred, who said we our bass player just left. Would you would you uh, mind be up for playing bass? So I said, so, you know, and I said sure, you know, and uh, yeah. <laughs> jumped in the van and ended up playing, you know, six or seven nights a week for two or three years, uh, all all over the place, playing bass. So, uh, so that's how I developed my. Thing. I, I'd play. I'd learned piano as a kid, you know, the usual as a. As a just went piano regular piano lessons for four or five years as a child. That was my sort of musical foundation, and I, but I, I didn't go on to study at, at university or anything like that. So there were, you know, there were some um, great great musicians that uh, came out of the, um, you know, that did that. But uh, but I I, I, I kind of learned my craft, I, whatever it is, just playing in front of audiences on the road and and. Uh, Listening to records, and, and I, had, I had that foundation that I could read a bit, you know, from, the, from learning the piano, basic, basic stuff as a kid, you know. Release and it's about time for another reminder. You, but, huh? let, let me remind people once again Frank McKay here, and Pete Sears is our very special guest, bass player, keyboard player, uh, extraordinaire, wonderful musician, and he's played with Rod Stewart. And Starship and uh, and everyone you could imagine, and, and we talked about uh, some Hendrix here. I, we got about three minutes left, Pete. Can you tell us, in short, if there was anyone you were ever offered to play with, and for whatever reason you turned it down because of scheduling or because you didn't like the situation, and then you looked back and said, "Why the hell did I re- uh, turn that down?" Um, I don't try to look at it that way. I, I, I I've you know I've been uh, close to close to. You know, it's all timing in this business, right? Sure. Like I've, I've you know, like my, my solo records, I've had, uh, you know, um, uh, I've signed with a company, and then a, and a couple, a couple of, uh, then the, a, week, a week later, I'm called by another, uh, by Warner Brothers, and they, uh, they and they said, <laughs> they said we really like that album, and uh, if somebody should play it to us, we would like to use it in movies, and we had to shop it around to Sony, and. I said, I just signed with the it was a Tower Records label, 31st Street Records, and you know, so it's all about timing, you know. I mean, no, I'm happy. I, I, I it's been a gra- gradual progression. I've played with some, you know, I, mean, I, have, I, I certainly haven't played with everybody, but I, but I've played with um, some people, some great guys. I mean, in general, I've had a lot of fun, you know. Look, look two and minutes. The up and down roller coaster ride. I've seen Rod Stewart. You know, um, yeah, two, hey, in two minutes, all right, we've okay. got two minutes left. Uh, you, you give us a website ultimately, but tell us about Rod Stewart. We haven't talked yeah. about him at all. Okay, Where Rod did you Stewart. meet him? Give us a yeah, quick I, version. I, I met Rod through Mickey Waller, and, uh, who played with Jeff Beck, the drummer, and and, uh, and uh, he introduced me. And I, I was with, playing with Lee Stevens from Blue Cheer at the time. We, we had a band called Silver Meter. And um, 
I'd come to the States for the first time in 69. And then, then I, so I started off, I, I played I played Gasoline Alley, played bass on Carly Cross Shorty and piano on um, Country Comforts. And then next one was uh, um, uh, Every Picture Tells a Story, you know, and I played Celeste on Maggie May and played piano on Reasons to Believe and uh, a bunch of, and some of the other stuff. And then the next one was Never a Dull Moment. And, and the, next, the last one I did with him was Smiler. And I played... Uh, uh, piano on Sweet Little Rock and Roller and some and some other stuff. I played bass on a couple of things too. But anyway, but the uh, what a career! Of course, Amazing, um, you know, like Sam Gopal Dream, that band playing the ragas, playing Indian style music, improvisational music. That was a really important part, foundation for me. And I, although I played piano with Fleur de Lis before that, um, it's always been piano, bass, or one or the other. You know, one or both. Like Jefferson Starship, I played. Uh, I played both, you know, and I, John Cipollina, I played both piano and, and keyboards. So I'd switch back and forth with people and, and Copperhead, you know, with John Cipollina. And, and then uh, Jefferson Starship, uh, Miracles, is, you know, that I'm, so I'm, I'm doing it as quite fast as I can. Yeah. <laughs> Miracles, uh, I played bass and, and Fender Rhodes and David Freiberg played the organ on that. We, that, we that, need that, a part two just to get through your resume. It's been an oh, incredible I career. I love playing with, love playing with Yomer and Jack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's still going strong. You're doing great. Just give us a website, and then we'll, hopefully we'll get you in for a part two. Uh, okay. Um, my website is just, you know, uh, com, and I'm just sort of building it up right now. I'm going through the years with the discography. Yeah. Uh, um, and, That's going to um, take a long time, let me tell yeah, you. Yeah, well, it's true. Uh, but, uh, but, it, but, it's, but it's all on my Facebook page. I have a musician uh, Facebook page, and all, it's all on there, you know. But, so Pete Sears, uh, the same thing, Facebook. Yeah, Pete Sears. yeah, there's Pete Sears fa- musician Facebook page. Listen, thank you. Uh, we're out of time, unfortunately. I need all a part right, two with you. rambling about myself. No, no listen, that's, right, that's what you're supposed to do <laughs> in an interview doing? is ramble about yourself. <laughs> they don't want to hear about me. Trust yeah. me, your, your career is a lot more interesting than mine. Right. Uh, listen, it's been a great career, and it's still going, and hopefully we can get you for a that's part good. two. Pete Sears. Thanks for being here. All right. Thanks, man. All the best. And I want to thank everyone for tuning in. Pete Sears has been our very special guest. We've got a history lesson here, you know, not only in the the, uh, British uh, music business of that time period, but uh, everything else uh, that uh, that kind of revolved around Britain there. Very interesting conversation with a a, a very talented man. Pete Sears has been our guest. Check out his website, PeteSears.com, and check out his Facebook, Pete Sears uh, Facebook, uh, musician Facebook. This is Frank McTague. We'll see you next time on Frank McTague.